Hi, everybody, and welcome to SNL Funhouse, a Saturday Night Live a recap podcast. My name is Mike Bloom. Admittedly, coming to you a little bit later in the week. Apologies about that, but uh, we had to spread the love. It was Mother's Day, and we wanted to be sure that well, we got all the family loving in, and we made a, we're all recovering from our meals of, you know, J- Jesus-stuffed turkey in a blender that just won't mix quite exactly the way we want to. But, of course, I'm not alone. I'm always joined here by the great Mario Lanza. Mario, how are you? Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, hopefully you do not uh, treat this podcast like uh, like Michael Chase's stepmother treats him. Uh, actually, <laughs> maybe so, because I would love to you to re- laugh uproariously at everything I say, even when it's not meant to be funny. <laughs> yes, I will do my best to laugh at all your jokes, and I will promise not to kiss you on the cheek too much. So here we go. Not too much. Not too much, at least. A little bit's okay. Uh, let's not get into the... Uh, Mother knows best John Christopher and Absolith territory. <laughs> so going into this episode, you admitted sort of uh, at the end of our Donald Glover podcast, you were not the biggest Amy Schumer fan, but I know that you have been posted on social media since the episode aired. I, I think this defied your expectations. Want to elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. And I always say that I, I'm not a big fan of Amy Schumer from what I've seen. I just don't like her. Very broad, very crass. I just don't like that kind of comedy. And it's kind of like the angry and stuff. So in general, I don't like her, but I always say I root for SNL. I want SNL to be fantastic every week. So I will give anybody an open mind when they come on the show. And I thought she did great. I really thought it was a good episode. I liked it a lot more than the Donald Glover episode. And I didn't think the Glover episode was bad. So like I, it, I was kind of surprised. Like she really fit in with the cast. I think she did mm-hmm. a good job. She only went overly broad, maybe in a couple instances. The the, the little rent sketch is the one I thought she maybe didn't really do that good a job. But for the most part, I thought it was a solid episode. And again, I will be the first person to tip my cap. You uh, you won me over. You win this round, Amy Schumer. You convinced me that that you were funny on this one. And I I really thought not only did she do a good job, I thought. And I keep comparing it to the Glover episode from last week. But I thought she fit in with the cast better than he did. Like last week, I Mm. kept saying, like, it feels more like the Donald Glover show. It didn't really feel like an episode of SNL. This felt like an episode of SNL. And it felt like she fit in very naturally and organically with the cast. And again, I just thought it was good. So, so again, I, I tip my cap and I keep an open mind anytime someone's on the show. And I thought she did a, a really excellent job. How about, how about you? I'm curious uh, your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I think I was reminded, because again, she hasn't hosted in about two and a half years. Uh, I had forgotten how, say what you want to about Amy Schumer as a stand-up comedian, I think she's a wonderfully gifted comic actress. I mm-hmm. feel like, you know, it, this there, there's a disparity sometimes, you know this as well as anyone with stand-ups when they, you know, do acting. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily translate over uh, and sometimes that's endearing like your john mulaney's for example but sometimes sometimes stand-ups are surprisingly sort of rigid when they actually get into the acting but i feel like to your point about her sort of fitting in seamlessly with the cast i i totally agree i feel like she was totally up there in terms of acting in terms of energy i wonder if part of that to your point is because she had her own pseudo sketch show and they were all mm-hmm. pre-taped she really wasn't doing anything live but i feel like she has a good eye for that type of comic timing and how that plays out in a scripted sense, as opposed to something like stand-up, which, yes, is scripted, but it's more so, you know, relying off of the audience and really sort of bouncing off of their energy. As for the episode itself, uh, I was probably a little bit lower on it than you were. I haven't put it in my rankings yet. I, I mean, it's a pretty strong upper half, just looking at this now. I, I would probably put it around, like, the... Uh, 
second percentile, you know, in like the the top middle area. But as as per usual, I'm going to sort of wait to discuss things and see where my thoughts flesh out. Uh, Where you know, I thought there were some pretty good sketch ideas, and I thought Amy did a a great job. There just was there were a couple things I I enjoyed, but nothing really, you know hooked me like some of the weird hilarious stuff from last week but i enjoyed this episode overall it was good to see amy schumer back especially performing with these specific ensemble yeah i would agree there's not one big standout moment that everyone's going to remember from this episode i mean there's some we'll talk about it but i agree it, it didn't really have those high highs but it's almost it feels like she's a cast member and it's funny how you said that stand-up comedians don't always do so well on sketch comedy shows because it's not really in their niche that actually made me think that I almost think she's a sketch comedian who maybe her niche isn't stand-up comedy. (laughs) Like maybe this is kind of what she should be doing because I think she's – as long as she can tone down her character. So when she goes super broad and over the top and kind of mad TV – like I bring up mad TV just like last week. But when she does that, it kind of gets a little annoying. But when she can tone it down, like the last sketch of the night, she handled – I mean, it was she was doing straight roles with uh, with uh, Kate McKinnon, and she was you know matching her line for line, and that was a very very impressive uh, acting job by Amy Schumer, I thought. So yeah, I again, I think this is kind of what her niche should be. I think she's very not if not naturally good at it. She has a lot of experience. She's just good at this stuff. All right, well, let's get into the episode proper as we break it down sketch by sketch, and we start with the cold open. A surprisingly a political cold open, at least for a second, which is uh, a Mother's Day message where we've seen this a couple times. I believe the one I really remember was from uh, the Reese Witherspoon episode a few years ago. They, The monologue, you know, they bring out the cast members and their mothers. And the joke is that, you know, they say we're not, you know, we're going to, things are so politically divisive. We're going to bring everyone together by bringing on their moms. And the joke is that the moms uh, really want to be talking about politics, or at least they want <laughs> to have them go easy on the current administration. What did you think about this? I mean, do do we give this a little bit of, do we grade this a little bit on a curve because we have so many quote-unquote non-actors in this sketch? Well, okay. First off, you say non-actors. I thought the moms did a great job in it. I Every single one of them, I thought, didn't seem too stilted or awkward. And again, these aren't people that normally go on TV. And I was incredibly impressed by how good they were at handling the the applause breaks. And that's something you notice with non-actors and non-comedians. They have a hard time dealing with like when the audience applauds or, or applauds or there's like loud noise or something. Like they tend to talk right through the applause. That happened several times in this instance where a mom would come out and the audience would applaud. And the mom actually waited for the applause to die down before they continued, which is a hard skill to learn, I would imagine. So I was I thought it was really cool. And I thought they did a great job. So I wouldn't you know dock it at all for having non-actors up there. I thought I always like when they do this on SNL. And I, I know, yeah, the Reese Witherspoon one they did before. I know they did it before that. The first time I think they ever did this was back in 1989, 80 or 1990 with the the Chris Farley and Chris Rock and their moms and stuff. So I like this is kind of a recurring thing on SNL. So, yeah, I thought it was neat. It was a good job. I thought it was, I mean, just a breath of fresh air, something different, at least for once in the in the cold opening. That's all I can really ask. Just do do something different. And I, I like this one. And again, I thought it was really cute and really funny. And there was some neat stuff. And I especially like uh, Luke Knoll's mom going off on both Hillary and Trump. And he he's like, you know, I'm brand new, mom. Don't do this to me right now. Which yeah, I thought that was good. Yeah, I like how and you could also tell it's, it's fun when it gets towards the end of the season because you. It's, I feel like the season always starts to get a little meta with its featured players where like now they're making references to Luke not being in any sketches with Melissa. Her mom says, you know, in Spanish, if you're not in a sketch, I don't watch it. Uh, I think my favorite personally was Colin Joe's mother 
uh, who says, you know, oh, who writes all this stuff? And then Colin just deadpans the camera. Oh, I, I guess it's mostly Michael Che. So, I mean, I'm always excited when we see the update anchors outside of the desk to, you know, uh, throw a few lines out there. So, yeah, I, I thought that the moms did a good job as well, at least, like, delivering the jokes. But, yeah, sometimes the timing was a bit thrown off by the applause. But I thought it was, you know, I can't complain much about the cold open. It was cute. Yeah, I got to give a shout out to Chris Red and his mom. First of all, is she taller than him? Like, how often do you see a mom taller than her son? That's an odd thing. But then the the joke about how, uh, what is it, when you start talking about Jesus, and he says, Mom, Jesus isn't the president. And she says, yes, I know, that's the problem. Which that was my personal favorite line in the sketch. And again, I, yeah, I just thought it was cute. And again, just something different and give the show a little different feel to start off. So, like, that's how this show is going to be a little distinct from the other ones around it, that we have this Mother's Day theme going through it, which I thought was really, really well done. All right, well, let's move into the Amy Schumer monologue. Now, you talked before about how you thought maybe she's more of a comic actress than a stand-up. We saw her do stand-up here as her monologue. Any particular thoughts towards it? I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of her as a stand-up comic, obviously, but I will say, again, that any stand-up comedian doing a monologue is going to be better than most other SNL monologues. So, like, even if it's not your favorite comedian, it's still going to be better than 90% of other SNL monologues. I mean, would you probably agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it bombed. I feel like it was fine. Uh, I mean, Amy Schumer, I, my, I'd say, you know, I'm a bigger fan of hers than yours. You obviously, that's not saying much, but (laughs) I'm not a huge fan of some of her newer material. I liked it when she was starting out. She was really good at, like, biting one-liners when I really enjoyed her when she was starting out in, like, the beginning of Inside Amy Schumer, like, five years ago. Now, you know, there weren't really a lot of big one-liners here that I really enjoyed, but, you know, it made the time pass, and I'm always going to love an unconventional monologue, even if it's stand-up, which, but in its form, is not really unconventional at this point. Yeah, well, I just like the science of stand-up. I like watching how people set up jokes, how they deliver them, just how they work off the audience, how one joke builds to the next. So just, like, from a science perspective, I love watching any stand-up com- comedian just watching how they do it. So, yeah, there was some parts of this monologue I thought were pretty funny. I was watching it with my wife, and she especially laughed at the uh, 30-year-old bridesmaids with the turkey leg arms because she's been through that as well. <laughs> so it's, it's just a... Uh, yeah, it was a good monologue. I, I appreciated it. Again, towards the end, I was kind of running out of steam. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of tired of this. Let's move on to the show. But again, it's a stand-up comedian is going to be way more interesting than just a normal host in general. Uh, but and I do have to say, I wrote in my notes here that at the end, she actually kind of fit in a plug for her movie. And it actually organically fit in with the rest of the stand-up act. And that's what I like. I actually appreciate that the plug wasn't just awkward and blatant, just, hi, come see my movie. It's coming out this Friday, which the hosts tend to do. So I will give her props that she actually worked the plug into her her act where it actually seemed natural. So a a big thumbs up to Amy Schumer for that right there. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, there were uh, I think my favorite part may have been probably two bits. The the one about, you know, essentially getting married in your 30s, which Admittedly, I don't think you or I have experience with, so it was nice to sort of find out what that meant about how, you know, she's uh, specifically, you're not in love, you're just tired, and also talking about getting married on Long Island when you're you're being a bridesmaid in your late 30s in a Grecian gown with a Coachella flower in your hair, hoping that you don't have the biggest arm. Uh, and then <laughs> I also liked the uh, the tampon stuff. I thought was, I, th- I think the way she delivered it was was fun. Just this idea of like, feeling like you need to embarrassingly, embarrassingly ask for a tampon because uh, from the beginning you're forged that, you know, hey, you're born human woman, so you need to be naturally embarrassed by this. I think uh, those were a couple of fun bits, and it didn't go on for too, too long. So listen, uh, considering earlier on in the season we had Larry, whatever Larry David put out onto that stage, we can only go up from there. <laughs> 
Yeah, and again, you you said that that I had in, in, inferred that her monologue had bombed. I don't think it bombed at all. I thought it was a pretty strong opening uh, monologue. All right, well, let's move into, well, it's interesting to me that, again, they went meta in the cold open, and I think it was maybe Bex, uh, Bex's mother, who was like, hey, uh, stop doing all the talk shows and game shows. What's the <laughs> first sketch we get after the monologue? A game show sketch. Mother knows best. It's sort of a dating game between mothers and their children. The big thing here is that we have the aforementioned John Christopher and his mom, Abyssalith. Uh, they're from like a very small Pennsylvania town, and they are very, very close. I felt like this was completely sold by Amy Schumer being the straight woman. I thought her reactions were really subtle, but broad enough to really come across to the audience. I was always really excited to see, because I think... As fun as it was to see Kate McKinnon in particular be creepy, she does creepy really well. I was always excited to cut back to her just to sort of see her dumbfounded reaction to everything that's going on. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I wrote that in my notes as well, that Amy was really good in this. And that's the thing you may not notice until you go back and watch it a second time, is that you really expect her to be so loud and broad in these sketches. And she's not. She really handled the host role very well, which, again, it could have gone to Keenan or someone like that. And they gave it to her, which kind of says a lot that they think that she can handle the opening sketch as the host of a, a game show. So, yeah, again, yeah, Kate is always going to be funny staring at the camera. Just They just cut to her at the start of the sketch as, what is her name, uh, Abyssalith? Yeah. And she's just staring at the camera and you're just laughing already. And that's the thing with Kate that she can get away with that. So, you know, she's going to be funny. And but and, you know, like the reaction to the other players are going to be funny. But Amy is really the one who sells the sketch. So, I, again, I give another big thumbs up to her being able to handle the straight role in this one, which is, again, very underrated talent to have. Not everybody can do that. And speaking of not everybody can do that. I am just kind of tired of Pete Davidson and sketches. I don't know about you. Mm. But like I like him on Weekend Update when he's doing stand up. In sketches, he just bothers me at this point. And there's sometimes I even said I think last week with the uh, the Barbie one that he goes, or in other, I forget which sketch it was. He goes so over the top that it's kind of funny. But I'm kind of tired. I'm just kind of over Pete Davidson and sketches. And in this sketch in particular, I didn't really see any any reason why he was there, why his character was there. They kept cutting back to him and calling what was it, uh, Cutie Pie Paul. And like that, that really yeah. didn't belong in this sketch. It was just kind of tacked on just so they could have Pete out there. Again, just kind of over him. And it was like there's a bunch of really solid sketch performers in this sketch. And then Pete kind of over on the side doing his thing. Yeah, this was a weird like there are games to this scene and then there are sub games, which you could say is uh, Amy's thing when, you know, uh, she has this like little moment where she talks about like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, when I think it's Cecily and who's the mom, I can't remember, but they talk about maybe 80. 80. Yeah, they talk about how, you know, I, my biggest fear is that my child like sees my sees my husband and I fight in front of her. She's like, yep, my parents fight all the time, too. And they took to the bottle and then she just sort of moves on from there. That's a fun sub game. <laughs> but they get this weird sub sub game where you can tell the writers just sort of threw it into for no reason of like her sort of flirtatious, weird relationship with Pete as, like, her, I don't even know, like, Rod Roddy uh, of uh, in terms of <laughs> comparing to the prices, right? I'm not entirely sure. But, yeah, I mean, Pete, I think Pete has a very particular aesthetic. And when you put him in those sketches, it works well. But when you don't, it sticks out like a sore thumb, much like Pete Davidson as a person. <laughs> 
Yeah, and that's the best way to put it. That I have to give a shout out here to uh, the best line, of course, from Amy. And people may forget this line. This might have been my favorite line in this entire episode. Where you know, after every every uh, every every question they get right, where Kate will start making out with her son and singing a little hymn from uh, where they from from the Fortress of the Lamb, Pennsylvania, a closed yeah, community yeah. of friends. And so Amy, after about the third song, says, "My producers are asking that you limit your songs to no songs." <laughs> And she delivered that so well. The way she said it was so good where like, yeah, it, it just was so subtle that I, that I agree. I wrote that one down to definitely my favorite line of the entire sketch. Yeah. And I also have to give the shout out to Mikey Day as the uh, the betrothed of his mother there wearing the dorkiest sweatshirt ever with the big floppy dog on it with the plaid ears. I don't know if people noticed that one, but just uh, if you watch the sketch again, just watch his stupid sweatshirt. Take a look at it. It's so lame. Well, let's move on to our next sketch here, Handmaids in the City. So this is sort of a mashup of The Handmaid's Tale with Sex in the City, because they say, like, let's face it, ladies, in this day and age, Handmaid's Tale is our Sex in the City. So I'm, I have a feeling you're familiar with one source material, but not the other one here, Mario. First question I'll ask, actually, to throw out here, were you surprised this was not a pre-taped sketch? I actually thought it was. It was funny. I was just watching it right before we started recording, and I remember it as being pre-taped until I watched it again. I'm like, this was live. I didn't realize that. And it's funny because, like, the one thing I wrote in my notes is that I specifically mentioned that, that this is a live sketch. And it feels like the actors out there, the four of them, were having way more fun than the audience was. Like, they're just going off and going over the top with their characters and jokes. And they're really loving this sketch. And the audience really wasn't into it that much. It's the one thing I noticed. And that's how I could tell it was live. But I am, I am shocked this was not a pre-tape. This one should have been pre-taped, it feels like. Yeah, well, just because I, I've also, I mean, the other Handmaid's Tale stuff that we've seen, and it escapes me now, there was a sketch, I think, earlier on in this, se- no, it's from last season, it was Chris Pine, I think, where it was, like, the Handmaid's, like, you know, the the women being in the Handmaid's clothing, but the, it's the joke about the, how the white men are like, oh, it's nothing's changed for us, that was a pre-tape, so I guess because it's so cinematic, usually, I'm surprised that it was done in a live sketch form, so that sort of threw it off for me initially. What did you think about this genre mashup? Do you feel like it worked out? I thought it was a good concept. Like, I like the idea of it. But the actual execution of it, I don't think was all that really engrossing. Like, I just kind of wrote in my notes here, it feels more whiny than funny. Like, we're just whining about stuff. Like, they weren't really going for jokes. And that, I guess that's the point of the sketch. But I like, you could even tell the audience wasn't really enjoying it because there weren't really big punchlines. It was just kind of people complaining about their situation. And again, I don't know if that works real well in sketch comedy. You may have a very valid criticism that, you know, things aren't well for everyone right now. But like in a, in a comedy sketch, I don't know if that's really the, the tone that tends to work with an audience. So I could see that people might think this was like a really well done thing. I think that it was produced well and I like the idea behind it. But again, it really didn't play well with a live audience to your point. Yeah. There weren't too many like big laugh moments for me. This felt more like, I don't even know if I want to call this like a clapter. It's more of like a thinkter, if that makes sense, where you're thinking to yourself, like, Oh, that's clever. That's funny. Uh, You know, I, I like, they all did a good job of like doing those, Sex in the City, you know, sly uh, line reads, especially Cecily, who I'm assuming was sort of playing the Samantha-like role, even though we didn't really get into it. It's fun to watch, you know, Kate be that sly while she has this prosthetic, you know, eye that's poked out. (laughs) 
And there were some, like, I were, there were a couple of, like, biting lines that I liked there. You know, it doesn't matter what our faces look like as long as we're fertile. Like, that got a, a big groan from the audience. Maybe that's one reason why they did it live is because they sort of wanted those lines to sort of sit with the audience and see how mm. they would react to it. Uh, it just, I feel like I agree with you. It didn't really go anywhere too, too much for me. But it also wasn't too long, so at least we didn't, we didn't stay in there for a long amount of time. They, they found their few beats, and they sort of finished it off. Yeah, it was nice and short. And again, all of them did a great job. It was very well acted and well performed and well produced. I just don't really think it had much of a payoff for anybody. But again, there's a lot of effort clearly put into this, and I respect that. All right. Well, let's move on to – this is an actual pre-tape. The Day You Were Born – yeah, this is a this is a graphic one, but this reminded me, and this was probably <laughs> one of my favorites of the night. But it also reminded me so so much of something from Inside Amy Schumer, just in terms of the way it was edited, the material, Amy obviously performing in it. Uh, I don't I don't know if you've watched the Inside Amy Schumer, but what did you think about this pre tape? Yeah, it's interesting that you compare this to Inside Amy Schumer because the whole point of the sketch was something coming from Inside Amy Schumer. So nice job, Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a, she had a, a bunch of babies on a TV show a while ago, and now that she's having a late birth again. <laughs> no, I really like this one. This was, again, every week I watch what's the one thing that's going to go viral that everyone's going to talk about. And this was the one, obviously, as we're watching this episode. I'm like, yeah, that one's going to pop on the Internet the next day. And I was watching that with my wife. My wife was just cracking up having been, you know, we have two kids. So she's been through childbirth and been through the raising of the kids and the thankless jobs and the kid that specifically wants you to clean up their piss. Like a mom would find this the funniest thing ever. I don't know if this thing would really this this little piece would would play with a younger audience or like with a male audience. But like anybody who's been through parenthood would find this one of the funniest things I've done on the show in recent memory. And I just was in love with this one. Like I thought it was so well done in the jump cuts between the, you know, the turmoil in the delivery room and then the tranquility in the bedroom and just the cutting back and forth from time to time and him asking, Oh, what was it like? And it's kind of like arrested development in a way that what's it like? And then they cut to the terror and then she lies. Oh, it was great. Like just stuff like that. I thought was so well done. And again, I give more props to Amy Schumer that this was a very, it was a very funny piece and very well done, but it was also dramatic. Like she had to act in it and she did a really good job in the delivery room scenes where she's acting like that's you really bought that she was a woman going through the pain of childbirth, which is, I think, hard to do, I would imagine, and, and not go over the top with it. I thought she was very realistic with it in a comedic way. So, uh, yeah, this was the one I thought was the big standout of the night. I have nothing bad to say about it whatsoever. And I just wrote uh, this was absolutely perfect for Mother's Day. And I will point out my wife will hate that I point this out that when my uh, when my son was born in the delivery room, it was not hectic in such as in this case. But I did spend most of the oh, most of the morning eating tater tots, which my wife still to this day is angry about. She's like, "Why are you eating tater tots?" I'm like, "Oh, I was hungry, and they had them in the cafeteria, and we're there for like nine hours, and I had nothing to do, so I was just sitting there eating tater tots." So that is the that is my contribution to this sketch. That it was not really my experience, but I have I know that the delivery process can be very scary for most people the first time, and I should point out. That was my second child, so I realized it was not going to be quite that traumatic the second time around. We had plenty of time to hang around until the action happens. Yeah, you're not a man, as Amy <laughs> Schumer's character would say. Yeah, to your point, the editing in this, I think the editing really made it. I know that you could see the joke coming from a mile away. As you said, it's sort of like the ironic Arrested Development edit of, you know, they say this and you cut to it and it's the exact opposite. But 
I think for me, what I made me giggle every time was just the extremities of it. You know, is Amy bellowing? Is Mikey cowering in the corner? Her yelling about like her, you know, she's pooping and her she doesn't want her vagina to rip. Uh, and then, you know, why is it so yellow and ugly? I think that, you know, I think that the the rea- the comparisons between the two, the serene atmosphere of the bedroom with the chaos of the delivery room, just really made it. And I also really liked how they also moved on to like. Oh, and then Raising You was great, and it just cuts to... Maybe it's because I've uh, seen the the uh, new Jason Reitman film, Tully, starring Charlize Theron, which I highly recommend. But it talks about exactly this. It really tickled me to just cut to this montage of, you know, Amy just getting literally and metaphorically crapped upon. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> then it all, and then it also ending with the son who made her this breakfast being like, you know, I messed all this up. Can Dad clean it up for you? I wanted you to clean it up. That seems like a very <laughs> mom-like thing. And it was actually a really like actually sweet final message of to all the moms in the world. Thanks for pretending it was easy. It was like a legitimately sweet way to end it. It was, and it was very realistic and it was clear that a mom wrote this. Someone wrote this with a lot of insider knowledge and or love, if you'd like to call it love, but it was, yeah, the first, the, the birth process, the first couple of years are not pretty. There's a lot of uh, feces involved. There's a lot of fluids involved. There's a lot of gross things involved that you probably shouldn't talk about on a podcast, but yeah, that's, there was a lot of truth in this one, and anybody who's been through it would understand. And again, I thought this was absolutely well done and a perfect gift to all mothers that were watching the show that night. Well, it seems like we're about time in the brunch period of SNL, so it's time for Gospel Brunch with Tracy <laughs> and Purvis Scott. The first thing I thought when we have this gospel choir here and Keenan and Leslie singing is like, okay, is it, is it what up with that in the kitchen? I'm not entirely sure, but essentially the game of this sketch is... These are, you know, two very religious Southern people hosting, I'm assuming, some sort of cooking show. And the joke is that all the food is extremely fatty and it leads to different consequences, like, you know, people getting subtuple bypasses and everyone's just in on the thing that they're going to make all this fatty food. What do you think about this one? I love the setup of this one. It was a absolute dead-on parody of like these Food Network shows, especially with the Southern food or like Paula Dean or uh, I forget the husband and wife that have a show. But it's mm-hmm. this was very realistic if you watch those shows based on that and the the gospel music being in there and everything. And again, the the fatty food like it was. This was a perfect Paula Dean episode of Paula Dean, like <laughs> right down to the food that she would have. And yeah, it's. Uh, I'm a big fan of Southern food. I'm a big fan of the unhealthiness of Southern food. I loved everything about this. I. I don't know if like it was really the greatest sketch in the world, but I appreciated the thought process behind it. And I, uh, I will say this: I, I, Have you been? Have you spent much time in the South, Mister Bloom? Um, like a few times. You know, I did. I did a little bit of a tour across like Arkansas and the like. So I spent a, a tiny bit of time. Not, uh, not many gospel brunches I've attended <laughs> though. So this really opened up my eyes to that world and also the malfunctioning kitchen supplies that come with it. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I love the South, just how uh, unabashed, unhealthy the food is down there, and they don't care, and I love about that. I just I just remember going to the South and just, just reveling in all the fried chicken and fried fish, and, like, everything's fried, and I even, like, I am a notorious eater of fried fatty foods, and even I, after, like, five days, I'm like, I could probably use some vegetables by this point, and I don't normally say that. And I just have a funny story out of a couple of years ago. I have a friend. They were doing a cross-country trip from California to uh, North Carolina. And uh, my friend and his girlfriend were asking me. They said, well, my girlfriend's vegan. Is she going to be able to find stuff in the South? And I just remember laughing. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's going to – you're going to find a lot of uh, uh, wholesome uh, you know, vegetarian buffets in the South. That's one thing that's really prominent down there. 
So I just well, wanted to say I, that. Yeah, I was going to say, well, vegetarian, though, according to Amy Schumer, is just a little bit of chicken and a lot of sausage. <laughs> yeah. And that, see, that's the people that, that know these shows and know these cooking shows and know that culinary world. That's a wonderful line because that's really what, like, Paula Dean would have said. Like, well, this is low fat. It only has one, a whole, a whole stick of butter in it. That's, yeah, exactly. that's the low fat version. But yeah. Well, it's Southern so, standards, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So again, this, a very knowing uh, sketch. Someone who knows a lot about this world wrote this sketch. And again, it was, it was funny. I thought Keenan and Leslie did a good job and but the one thing that that really stood out to me was of course the prop blender not working and amy absolutely just pulling it playing it off and making it natural like it wasn't it didn't throw her at all like it didn't it not only did it not throw her she just segued it into a whole conversation with uh keenan and leslie about props that don't work and stuff like and that's again, that's such a hard thing to do for people who aren't like full time cast members on the show. She absolutely seamlessly held that together and made it work. And I, that to me, that's the big thing from this sketch that stands out is that I couldn't believe she handled that and didn't like it didn't throw her. It just it seemed very natural that it was supposed to happen almost. Yeah, if anything, Keenan and Leslie, the professional sketch performers, were the one who started to break, whereas Amy, like regained yeah. her composure and she yeah she as to your point she threw in that ad lib line i think she said like oh well sometimes the lord doesn't work which i think is a good yeah. thing to to throw in there but yeah i mean that's the fun and scary parts of live tv as well is that things invariably go wrong you knew that there was an entire bit involved with the blender that probably cut five or ten seconds out of the sketch mm-hmm. uh so, I mean, that was I agree that that's probably the thing I'll remember most from this sketch. Otherwise, I thought that I agree that the idea was fun. I thought the execution was fine. You know, I was okay with Cecily coming in and being like, I'm an atheist. And then you knew that she'd get ushered out. I think Amy brought some energy to it. I think my besides the blender, I, I didn't like the in memoriam, like the idea, but I liked Keenan's song specifically about all these ingredients, you know, stuffed in a turkey for Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Again, just so much little details in this home are fun. I remember, like you said, Cecily gets swept off for being an atheist. But I love the fact that they had a little broom to sweep her off. And you get to the implication that they've had that broom sitting around because it happens often. So they have to have a prop broom just sitting there on the set, which I just I just like the joke behind that. But, yeah, it was. Yeah, the, the, I do think the reading the moratorium of the people who have died was perhaps a little much. I think the joke had been made. We got, okay, it's about unhealthy fatty food. But it was really well done. I like the singing. Leslie flubbed a couple lines. Chris Red flubbed a couple lines. But I do think the uh, the live gospel choir was kind of a nice touch and added a little uh, a little extra energy to the sketch. All right, well, let's move on. Speaking of singing, segues perfectly into our musical guest for this week, Casey Musgraves. As per usual, I have our thoughts from our musical correspondent, Will from America to give his thoughts on Casey Musgraves and her two performances this week. Will, take it away. What's up, guys? Today, I want to talk about my girl, Casey Musgraves. Now, she is one of the few shining lights in country music right now, because most of country music is dominated by these by these mouth-breathing meatheads like Florida Georgia Line, who don't even want to be country music. They want to be rappers, and they're they just sound like they're ashamed to even be associated with the genre. And I've never been a big fan of country music myself, but Casey Musgraves represents everything that uh, old country music represents. You know, just genuine, heartfelt music. And I think both of the songs tonight really reflected that, especially the second one, um, Slow Burn. It was a beautiful acoustic ballad. Um, the mixing of the stage didn't hamper it really in any way because how can you mess up an acoustic an acoustic ballad you know 
But I, I just really want to speak in defense of her on the first song, High Horse, because it's an amazing song. And for some reason, they just mixed the acoustic guitar, like, above the vocals. It made it sound so lifeless. It's such a fun song. And I don't know why SNL just keeps... You know, SNL is such a great place for new artists to expose their music to a wide mass of people. And they're just totally sabotaging everyone by making their performances sound like shit. And I recommend anyone, if you were like on the fence about her, go listen to go listen to Casey's new album. It's called Golden Hour, and it's probably my favorite album of 2018 so far. So, you know, I hope in the future SNL ups its mixing capabilities and stops sabotaging great artists like Casey Musgraves and continues having on great artists like Casey Musgraves, though. So I'll send it back to you guys, and Mario, if you shit talk Casey like you did Cardi B, we are no longer friends. Talk to you guys later. Okay, thank you, Will. <laughs> oh, the gauntlet has been thrown, I see. Yes, you are now in a, a war with the recorded voice of Will from America about musical guests. We have one more opportunity to uh, see who comes out victorious next week with Nicki Minaj, so I'm excited to see how it plays out. <laughs> well, uh, just in my defense, I should point out that people always give me crap for not knowing who rap stars are. I don't know who Casey Musgraves was either, so there you go. But no, Equal I she was opportunity fine. offender, yeah. I, yeah, I just don't follow music, so whatever. But no, I, I thought she was fine. It's, I'm not really a country fan either, but she she had good songs and good, vo- uh, good voice. And uh, Although something that Will said there is that they always sabotage her with the uh, – the sound mixing. It's funny. I'm reading uh, the book live from New York, which is the oral history of Saturday Night Live. I'm assuming you've must have read it, right? And oh, yeah. one thing that pops up in there over and over again is that Lorne Michaels saying, "We have the best sound men available. We have the best lighting." That's that's like what his pride is. That he's so proud that he always has the best sound and lighting. So I think that's very interesting that Will points out that the sound just sabotages these artists. But Lorne is very proud of his sound team. So. I'm not entirely sure what the uh, background is there. Although I will say in the first song, I did appreciate that uh, Casey had her backup singer, the guy right behind her. I forget what he was playing or singing, but he had like a white suit on and a hat on. And with a, with the blue lights, he looked just like a Confederate soldier, which I thought felt the, felt the, uh, fed the attitude of the, uh, the country music very well. Not only that, he looked exactly like Torgo from Manos, the hands of fate, who a lot of people don't know is wearing a Confederate soldier's outfit. That's one of the things that people don't know about uh, Manos. That's our, that's how we will transition from Casey into Manos, the hands of fate right here that he looked, she looked like she had Torgo singing backup right behind her. There we go. Now and now it's accessible for everybody, and that's really the point that you sort of honed in on in, your, in Casey Musgraves, it seems. Exactly. See, I'm the hard-hitting. I ask the important questions. I get to the important issues. But yeah, it's, I don't really have much more to say. I, I will not shit-talk her. I thought she did a fine job. So, Will, for now, we're cool. <laughs> well, let's move into weekend updates. Speaking of other contentious pairings on air, any highlights or view from you for uh, the Jost and Shea pairing this week? Uh, most of my favorite jokes this week were Michael Shea ones. I like the one about yeah. the guy that got arrested at Yale. So if you're black and go to, wa- to Yale, stay woke. That was a good yep. line. I like the uh, Melania being sexy ass Michael Jackson. That was a good one. Uh, as for uh, Joe, I, I, I like almost all of Joe's jokes in general, but the one that stood out this week was the it didn't get a good reaction from the crowd. But the one about how you can now use Starbucks without buying a drink. And this, these were the words uh, written in the Starbucks bathroom attendant suicide note. <laughs> Which <laughs> I like that joke, I, but the audience didn't really get that one or get into it. But I, I like that one. How about how about you? Who were who were your highlights this week? 
Yeah, you actually took a couple of mine with Sexy Ass Michael Jackson and Stay Woke. Another one that I liked was Che talking about how uh, Trump wants to erase so many of Obama's legacy that it looks like he's disappearing from photos like Back to the Future. I just thought that was <laughs> that was a fun little take on it. But yeah, I would say in both cases, the correspondence sort of outshone the anchors this week, but nothing against the anchors. They both did very solid jobs as per usual. Yeah, and again, it's just the, it's the with them it's the uh, the thing that they're so good and consistent week after week after week. It's hard to pick out something that's different. Like it's I, I just mm-hmm. expect greatness out of them. So I yeah, nothing really jumps out because they're always so good. That's kind of what I say every week. I feel I'm like a broken record. I wish I could add more, but that's 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 my true feelings on Weekend Update. It's tough to pick out something that's good or bad because it's always kind of like the same consistent level of quality. All right, well let's get into our correspondence here. Let's start with. <laughs> Bailey Gizmert. Now, coming onto this podcast, Mario, you said you were a big Heidi Gardner fan. You specifically referenced this character when you talked about how excited you were to see her on SNL. Here she is, come back for the second time this season. How did you feel about her second time out here? I am never going to criticize a Bailey Gizmert. I'm never going to criticize any Heidi character, I would imagine. Just I can already see her three, four, five, whatever her run is on the show is going to be, that she's just such a fantastic character actor. And it's funny that I was reading some comments on YouTube just specifically about this character, this performance last night, and someone came up with a, uh, a comment that I hadn't even thought of. They said, she gets so into character, and this is something I've said, she's so deep into character. They said, watch her. She doesn't even look at the cue cards like the entire time, which is almost impossible for these people to do. When they get into their their uh, weekend update correspondent pieces, but she never looks at the cue card. She's so locked into this character, to the point that like like the character starts to get irritating and annoying, and we they start having a breakdown. And it, it, we start going into Kyle Mooney character here, where the breakdown becomes the point of the character, just to watch them go through an emotional letdown on TV. But yeah, I just I just find her so fascinating to watch because she's just. Again, again, aggressively into character. She's so locked in there that it almost overtakes the like she's not even trying for the jokes at a certain point. She just was so locked in with what she wants to portray and making you feel the emotion of how irritating slash pathetic this character is. But again, it's just it's like a master class in acting. That's all I can think when I watch Heidi Gardner is how good she is at this stuff. Yeah, it's all in the performance. Like you said, it's not so much about like like a Pete or a Leslie, which is a different type of animal, but coming out and essentially being there to give one-liners and deliver jokes. She's much more about a characterization. Element, I was nervous with her coming out just because the the dangerous game we play with some of these returning characters are, okay, let's not go into, as Rich Tackenberg would say, Mad Lips territory where, oh, the exact same thing's going to happen. And it followed, I'd say, like the loose outline of the previous time, at least with her, you know, getting upset and getting emotional and talking about all the things that she has on her plate. But I feel like it was varied up enough to have me really enjoy it as an entirely different product, especially when, you know, it was fine when we started off with her being like, we get it, like dinosaurs are not here. The movie's fake. I love the Thanos tangent about how (laughs) she's has such a crush on him and how, I mean, I think her literally saying don't text Thanos was, was the (laughs) point that really made me laugh out loud. And even like the crying was done a little different where, Last time, I believe it was her holding her fingers under her eyelids to try to, like, catch the tears. This time, she's, like, trying to dab her eyes with her hair that she has curled around her fingers. And then, of course, you know, her her duties include a dog sitting for her pastor and the fact that they didn't pick her prom theme, which was Moulin Rouge. So I think the specificities in there, coupled with the fact that things were just a little bit different, made this a welcome return for the character for me. Yeah, and I will say, I you know, in all fairness here, I am leery of any character that can only exist on Weekend Update. 
like maybe they don't have legs to be featured on the show that much. And that's kind of my thing with Stefan and kind of Jacob, the bar mitzvah boy, like they're funny in the, in what they're there for, but it's, I would like to see them in a different context from time to time. So I think the challenge for Heidi would be find some way to work Bailey into something else. Because like you said, we've seen her twice now. I kind of see what she can do with it and it's impressive, but it's going to be the law of diminishing returns after a while. So again, I'm always leery of these characters that can only exist in this one specific context. And I would like to see if they can maybe do something a little different with her. Um, That's that's the interesting thing about like Kate McKinnon starting off is because a lot of us were saying Kate McKinnon's so talented, but for a while, I don't know if you remember this, she didn't have a recurring weekend update character. For some reason she was on there all the time, but it wasn't like we were seeing, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg as much as we see now, or Angela Merkel as much as we see now. So Maybe at a certain point they just decided to turn her recurring, but I would be totally fine with Heidi taking a similar path to what Kate was in those earlier years, where she just kept doing random one-off characters, and some of them hit and some of them missed. Yeah, I will tell you what I want to see is I want to see a lot of Kate and Heidi sketches, just the two of them together, playing off each other. That's what I would really like to see in the future here before we lose Kate. I don't know how many more seasons Kate's going to be around, but I would like to see the little passing of the torture because to me, they kind of represent the same archetype. And that's not an insult. That's just the star of the show, the absolute standout person who can really get into these weird characters. And just two more things I want to say about Heidi before I leave is that when you watch this sketch or really any Heidi performance in particular, watch how she acts with her eyes. She does so much acting and so much emotion and emoting and just tells a story with her eyes. And it's you don't see most of the other actors on the show do that. Cecily maybe does it a little, but Heidi's kind of like in a different class how well she can do that. And the other mm-hmm. thing is I just have to say this. I was reading – I was watching r- literally right before we started recording the show. I was watching this Bailey Gizmert performance, and I was reading some of the comments on YouTube who, from people who have never seen this character before. And here's my favorite. I'll, I'll, you'll like this one. Some guy had never seen her do this character before. And this is his exact comments on YouTube. I'm so angry right now. I'm actually shaking. Yet I'm still laughing my ass off. My hatred of children and my sense of humor are conflicting. (laughs) (laughs) If that doesn't sum up Bailey right there, that's about it. She's so irritating and annoying. It's so funny to see how accurate she is at portraying these annoying YouTube teens. It's like it'll physically make you mad because it's so realistic if you hate that type of archetype so much. Well, let's move on to our other, I, would say, I wouldn't say correspondent. We have this little like third category sometimes of these correspondents, like your riblets of people who don't necessarily go on and do a piece. They just more so drop in and make a cameo. And here we have Michael Chase's stepmother. I don't think she's ever named, but <laughs> played by Melissa McCarthy. Mario, I don't think I've ever asked you, what are your thoughts on Melissa McCarthy, who sort of has become a recurring cast member, a recurring uh, you know, celebrity guest, especially this past year with the Sean Spicer of it all. I think Melissa McCarthy is great. And I really don't know anybody who doesn't like her. The only, the only drawback I see with Melissa McCarthy is I, I've seen her on other shows and how talented she is and how naturally funny she is. And like you see her on like the Ellen show. My wife watches Ellen every day and Melissa McCarthy is always on there. She's so naturally funny in a good interview. And what I think is kind of a shame with her is she kind of gets typecast in the Chris Farley thing where mm-hmm. people expect her to go falling down through stuff and crashing through things. And that's really only like one part of the thing she does. And that's, One thing I think people forget about Farley is that that was only one thing he did. 
he was so good at so many things, but they eventually just wanted him to be the slapstick guy that falls into stuff. And that's the worry I see with Melissa McCarthy. Sometimes people just think of her as a slapstick actress and she's not, as you see in this one, she's not slapstick at all. She's fantastic in this. So I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of Melissa McCarthy to the point, And I will even say this, that I wonder if it made Amy Schumer a little nervous having Melissa McCarthy on her show because Melissa McCarthy is so good at doing almost the exact same thing Amy does. And it's like if you're Kevin Hart and you're hosting the show, would you really want Eddie Murphy to come out there and do a little stand-up bit in the middle of your show and maybe mm-hmm. n- invite the comparison? Maybe you don't want that to happen. So it makes me think, like, because they, they kind of do the similar things on the, in their acts. So, but I, I'm an unabashed fan of Melissa McCarthy. I think she's fantastic, and I think it's a shame that she only gets relegated to these slapstick falling-through-the-table roles that what happened to Farley kind of at the end of his last few years of his career. Well, it's interesting because I feel like, and this sort of lies in conjunction with her newest movie, I feel like now she's also starting to go into the direction of, like, dorky mom as well, uh, which we saw here, but she does such a good (laughs) job with it. But it's it's so interesting because it walks such a fine line of it can be so annoying but so endearing at the same time. And that's why I was so bowled over by this is because she felt generally warm to the point where I was thinking, like, if I had to have a stepmother, like, (laughs) I would kind of want her. She's so supportive. And, yeah, she's embarrassing and doesn't understand, uh, you know, her energy just sort of, like, interrupts everything. But she is so caring towards him. And that's, you know, I I feel like that sort of got us all on her side. I mean, from the moment where uh, they bring up the Judy Rudiani graphic and she just starts bopping around saying oh i have a different head i that just made me giggle out loud she was just she's so good at being so affable and so likable with some of these characters that i mean she's she's absolutely incredible in my opinion yeah she could be on snl in a second they put her on there she's the best person on that show and that's the thing that i don't think people realize how talented and good at this stuff she is so yeah it was like her segment here with michael shea i think it went on a little too long maybe about two three minutes too long but like i don't really care because you're watching someone who's absolutely the master of the craft and again i i'm I'm always a proponent i hate when people make cameos on snl i think it's gratuitous but like this is someone who's legitimately could be a cast member this is like if tom hanks shows up and makes a cameo i'm like yeah I'm, i'm cool with him making a cameo for 10 minutes and goofing around because they're so good at it so and i think i was reading one uh, comment on youtube someone said she was so good at this role that by the end i thought wow michael shea has such a sweet stepmom <laughs> and i completely forgot that's not his real stepmom and, like she's so good at as being endearing and annoying yet lovable like you forget that's not even she's just playing a character that's just a bit and that's i think a testament to how good melissa mccarthy is and how uh, this underrated and talented she is it that's people don't realize she's more than just slapstick and I liked, uh, I mean, I don't know if it was a purposeful choice to have her be Che's stepmother, because considering that we had Colin's mother in there, maybe that was why they decided to do that. But I think that dynamic works a lot better, too, considering that how sort of like Che gives off this, like, gives off this sort of like wise guy sitting in the, in the back of the class sort of, uh, you know, demeanor, that to have this mom come in and embarrass him, I feel like worked a lot better than maybe someone like Colin. And it's also just a fun dichotomy as well to have like, dorky mom up next to michael che but he also had a lot of love for her as well i mean there's so many great moments here with her saying you know oh what is that on your face oh it's me and then she just starts like showering him in kisses uh and and, you know her laughing at the joke when it's being before it's even being said Uh, and then of course it her ending with her pulling uh uh i forget the the former governor of new york but the blind guy that fred armison always used to play on update pulling that guy 
uh, Elliot Spitzer, maybe, uh, and him and her. Uh, she says, "Okay, read the. You can read the last joke." But she's so damn nearsighted that she has to walk all the way up to the cue cards at the camera and read the joke off. But it's really just a, a nice set thing about Mother's Day. Yeah, and remember, Michael, I knew what you were doing in your room all those years. I just never bothered you. <laughs> so good. So I mean, Melissa McCarthy is just an absolute gem. I, I read something where. You know, she was in the Groundlings with, you know, Kristen Wiig and all these people. And the one night she missed apparently was the night that the SNL executives uh, or talent search came in. But at the same time, like, it's sort of one door closes, another one opens. I mean, if she was on SNL, I don't know if she would be an Emmy winner and an Oscar nominee, you know? So everyone sort of has their own path. And it seems like Melissa McCarthy just sort of has the door open now to sort of come on and do it. Even though she might have been on to also promote her movie, uh, incidentally, I think that... She's always a welcome appearance in my book. Yeah, absolutely. I just really hope people appreciate how good she is at this kind of thing. All right, well, let's move into our post-update sketches. We only have a few of them, but let's start with Wake Up Denver, a theater sketch. Mario, I know you've talked about this, about how you feel like this cast, especially this generation of SNL, all come from, like, these dorky theater kids, and that's why we get so many, especially, like, youthful community center theater Mm -hmm. sketches which as a theater kid i absolutely love here we have uh, a local uh elementary school i think it is doing a production of lil rent where they replace uh every mention of hiv aids with diabetes which actually is a thing uh for, (laughs) for those of you that might not know there is a tweet that sort of went viral a while back about someone who said you know I had been talking with somebody who did a, a, a school production of Rent where instead of uh, they just replaced all the mentions of AIDS with mentions of diabetes and it sort of spun off from there. So what did you think about this sketch? I love the idea behind this sketch. I thought it was very clever, but it really felt thrown together. Like mm-hmm. the actual execution of it, it felt like maybe it was two sketches in one. They had the thing with you know HIV being replaced by diabetes, which was funny. And they had the thing with Kyle singing to the little kid, which I thought was really funny. And then the sketch just kind of ends. And we go over to talk to uh, Amy, who really has nothing to do with the rest of the sketch. And she's playing like this overly broad, conservative, like little make America great again kid. And like then we just end. So it was like it, it, I'm not sure what happened. I wonder if the sketch might have been longer at some point or maybe it was short and they added the Amy Schumer part. I don't know. It just it really didn't work to me. And it, it's, it's too bad because I think it started strong and it had a good concept. But if you watch it again, you'll notice it just it just stops like all of a sudden they go nowhere with it. So. I would probably award this the Cardi B of the week, the thing that didn't work. (laughs) So, yeah, I agree that I really love this idea. Again, as a theater kid, I think it's hysterical to have these kids doing this overly insensitive material. And the joke is that, you know, all the director did was literally do a Control-F replace with, you know, HIV, AIDS, and diabetes. So all these sexually explicit uh, and, you know, uh, R-rated material is still in there. But instead, they just talk about diabetes. And there were a couple of fun moments in there. Like you said, I liked... Kyle singing with the kid, even though I don't know if you noticed this, Mario, that kid who played Roger with the guitar was the same kid who was Amy Schumer's son in The Day You Were Born. Oh, I didn't catch that. Good catch. He also uh, uh, apparently was the son in the Welts for Boys sketch from last year, <laughs> which is one of my favorites. So that kid gets around, which is good. He's a, he's a solid actor. Yeah, no, he was. Again, I, I, I would have loved to see this as a full sketch where they had maybe three different kids come out and we make have three incredibly awkward vignettes with the singing to the kids. So that's that's maybe the thing with this one. I, I wish there'd been more of that. Yeah, like I, I would have liked to see Vanessa Bayer in there or something. I don't know. But it just seemed like there could have done so much more with the sketch. 
she does a great job, Vanessa, playing those theater kids. And I think there were, you know, the control F lines were funny enough. Diabetes is this new sexually transmitted disease. Uh, take your insulin, Roger. Uh, got diabetes from sharing an infected heroin needle. I do agree that once we move over to stage left and we get Amy Mayweather Sherman, it changes a bit. Now, for those of you that don't remember, Amy Mayweather Sherman is a kid character that Amy Schumer does. Not only was it in the previous time that she hosted, I believe there was like a 10 to 1 sketch of like a town hall meeting where she came in. I believe it's also a character from her sketch show as well. So it's sort of like when Dave Chappelle did the Walking Dead sketch and he used all like the Chappelle show characters. They're they're able to, to carry things over from their previous sketch incarnations, but it didn't necessarily fit. And maybe it's because it's, it, as you said, it was a little more broad. It had this weird sub game of like, oh, she's a conservative, so now she's also saying all these offensive things on top of politically offensive things, on top of these uh, you know, morally offensive things. But yeah, I think this the sketch for me, I agree, it started off on a great idea, and I like the introduction of it. Took a few steps down once we actually saw it happen, and then I felt like it took a dip once we got to Amy's character just because it, it, it felt unnecessary to me. Yeah, and it's the one misstep I think she had all night. And again, I I only think she had one misstep. I think she was very strong through the entire show. But this is the one that just felt like she's way too broad with that character. And again, I, I didn't know she was a recurring character from her, her sketch comedy show. That totally makes sense because that's what it felt like. It felt like she's doing shtick that the audience is supposed to already know. And I don't know. It's all like, this is weird. It doesn't really make sense in the context of the sketch, especially when the kid before, the Wells for Boys kid, was, play, was playing it so straight and so serious. And she's so broad and over the top with it. So, yeah, it's, again, the one rare misstep in this episode, I feel. All right, well, let's move on here. Last call. Interesting, for a variety of reasons. First, it's it, it's, it has not been very long since we've seen it. We only saw it a, a couple months ago during the Charles Barkley episode. And I believe this is our first uh, same-sex edition of Last <laughs> Call, which I like. I like that that's at least a little bit of a change-up of the formula. And look, I would say that, you know, Amy was a... <laughs> Definitely an improvement on Charles Barkley. I mean, I always enjoy this sketch. I will say that when things are supposed to get gross and weird, it didn't really go there for me. You know, I think we're used to, like, really ridiculous things like making out through saran wrap or, you know, climbing up Vince Vaughn like he's a tree and all that stuff. Here they were just uh, spraying Purell, which I put in quotations because it was probably water, into their eyes and mouths, and that was pretty much it. But I like the writing behind it and i'll i'll highlight some lines uh but first i want to go to you what do you think about this edition of last call i think that purell was actually holy water left over from the gospel brunch sketch <laughs> good i'm glad uh some <laughs> well they brought that over oh here's the sketch that went wrong let's bring yeah. over that <laughs> hopefully it'll work here no my my, th- my feelings on this one are is it's always neat to see Amy or uh, Kate working with somebody just because kate's so good and amy more than held her own i thought she did a great job playing yeah. a not so much of a broad character, but very much a based in reality character. And I thought it was really neat to see her playing off Kate. But for the most part, I'm kind of over these Sheila, uh, these uh, Sheila Sauvage sketches. They're kind of the same. And that's that's one of the hallmarks of this this era of SNL. There are not very many recurring sketches. I don't know if people realize that. That's one of the things that I really like about this era of the show compared to maybe 10 years ago when everything was, was a recurring character. There's almost none. And this is one of the few ones that kind of get, comes gets to come back and they try to make it different, but I'm just kind of over it at this point. Cause like, okay, they're going to say something gross and we cut to Keenan. Keenan makes a gross reaction and it's going to go over the top. And, and again, I appreciate the arc of the covenant making a rare appearance, but for the most part, I think we've seen everything we can out of these sketches other than it's always nice to see Kate do character work with somebody else. So I'll say that. And I thought they did a great job, but, 
I don't really see any reason why we need to keep doing these. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, this might be something that, I mean, maybe, and I don't think, I think we get like an announcement of this if it's happening, but if there's a chance that Kate McKinnon might be leaving, maybe this is a way to sort of like send her off. A bit, I don't know, I, again, I'll say that I think there would be more of a fanfare of her leaving. It'd be like, you know, when Bobby Moynihan and Vanessa Bear left last time, I think we might find out a little bit earlier. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I I think that there are, I always get bowled over here, I think, by the performances, and specifically the weird oddities. Uh, you know, is your mother a beaver because, damn, you have a flat tail, a furry face, and you smell like a lake? I think my favorite, though, was Amy's <laughs> character, Sue Seal, saying, uh, let me just move my stool, and then she picks up a stool sample and hands it to Keated. I will say, I, I'm, and maybe this is because, to your point, maybe they've done it a couple too time, too many times in succession. I feel like Keenan, which usually might be one of the best people to go to, especially in this type of sketch, not a lot of great stuff that hit in this sketch, where he's doing, like, uh, spitting out the pickled eggs, asking Alexa what to do. I think opening the Ark of the Covenant was maybe my favorite thing, but... Usually when such like a, you know, you think this is usually a two-person sketch, but Keenan is like the silent partner there. You always go to him for some fantastic reactions, no matter how over-the-top they may be. I don't know. I wouldn't say that these were too over-the-top. They just, they weren't really doing it for me overall. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's 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 weird to waste Keenan in a sketch, and I, I, I'm trying to figure out the right way to word it. Like, it, it felt gratuitous. Like, I'd rather just watch Amy and Kate do their thing. Like, I didn't want to cut. I didn't want to keep cutting to Keenan, which is very weird for me to say because I never think that, and I don't know why. Maybe they were just too good with their their chemistry together. And I will say that stool line you mentioned. She she delivered that fantastically. Just the timing on the way she did that stool line. That was so good on Amy Schumer's part there. But yeah, it's a. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, this was the first same-sex ver- variant of the sketch. I didn't realize that. I thought maybe they may have done one before. And I just think that's kind of interesting how far we have kind of come as a society and an audience when they take a sketch and make it same-sex and you don't even notice. Like yeah. 10, 10, 15 years ago, that would have been, whoa, they, now they're lesbians kissing. Wow. And like now it's like I didn't even realize this was the first same-sex. I just assume they do that all the time. So it's like I think that's actually kind of cool that to the point that we just accept that as normal in a sketch now, which, again, anybody who's lived through America through the 80s, 90s, 2000s knows that's not something you would have shown on TV until 2000, mid-2000s maybe. And as we also know, lesbians rhymes with thespians. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> yeah. I don't want that. I don't want that. Cut that. Get him out of my split screen. Um, and I also, I think, I, I, I know I talked about the stool thing, but I also loved Kate saying, I just pitched a cave. Just that that image and the way she <laughs> delivered that just really bowled me over. Yeah, I circled that line as well. That is a fantastic line that leaves a lot to the imagination, so I appreciate that one. Yeah, those are the best jokes sometimes that make you, like, the more you imagine <laughs> it, the more disgusted you get. Like, that's, that's yeah. those are the best jokes for me with Last Call. Uh, but it is not the last sketch. Let's end here on... I'm still trying to figure out if it's this or the d- day you were born that's my favorite. It's the James Madison High School graduation. Now, this is sort of like a successor to... I believe it was a um, the Martin Freeman episode in 2014. They did, like, a Christmas mass spectacular uh, mm-hmm. sketch that's similar like this. They usually do this with, like, the the concert series. They did as well back in the day, but it's... It's a, uh, you know, I don't know if it's Good Neighbor, but Beck's the one doing his, like, monster truck voice. But mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a highly edited uh, promotion for a high school graduation. Mario, I know you have recently, in the past couple of years, been to a high school graduation. How close to home did this hit for you? Oh, well, 
Uh, the reality of a high school graduation, this was nothing like, because my daughter's high school class was like 900 kids in an auditorium, and you couldn't even hear anything going on because it was a giant stadium. So, so yeah, that was a... The reality of it, it would, did not ring true to me, but I'm sure it is for a smaller high school. But yeah, I just appreciate when they bring back this style of humor. And they were doing this even before Good Neighbor, I think. They were doing it way back with Anne Hathaway and the uh, the slide into savings. I kind of forget the name of that sketch where that she's yeah. waiting all night to go into. So this is kind of a recurring trope on SNL. They've been doing for a long time, this over-the-top, take something so mundane and add all these over-the-top elements. So I yeah, I love this stuff. I love the, the saltiest uh, graduation speech ever from Kyle Mooney. I appreciate the uh, back handspring that uh, that Chris Red was going to do. And what was one? I, I, oh, so much dabbing. And then what was yes. the other thing? That, I will say, the uh, just as a personal note, the and the principal who's going to mispronounce the Indian kid's name. It's it's hilarious because my, my kids take uh, music lessons here in Southern California at the school, and the guy that runs the school is like this 80-year-old old Mormon white guy who cannot pronounce any ethnic name whatsoever, and it's like the running joke for 15 years that any time a kid with a Mexican or Indian name comes up there, he's going to butcher it so horribly. And so I appreciated that we saw that in this sketch because that's just one of the things that happens with these old guys that can't pronounce these ethnic names. So, yeah, I, I, I love this. It was a fun little one minute and a half way to end the show. And, and again, kind of a nice little callback to type of humor that's been on SNL in the past. But yeah, it was what, like I, I, you saying you might like this one over the Mother's Day one. I think the Mother's Day one popped much more with the audience just because this was buried so far at the end of the show as they tend to do with Beck and Kyle, unfortunately. Well, I wonder as well if what if the blender malfunctioning like took some time off? Because as you said, this was only like a minute and a half. What if they had this ready because, you know, there weren't any uh, hosts that were in it and they decided like, okay, we'll slot this in for May at some point because that's when graduation season is. And because of the blender flub, they left some extra time in there that was just enough time to put this sketch in at the last minute. Yeah, it's possible. And the other variable here is you have to remember the Melissa McCarthy part. I don't think any of her interplay was scripted. I think yeah. that was all improvised. So they have no idea how long she's going to go, how short it's going to go. So you probably need stuff like this to fill at the show at the end. Just just have it sitting around just in case. So, so uh, yeah, I think, I think that's probably what happened between Melissa McCarthy and The Blender. This one was probably, is it going to be in the show? Is it not going to be in the show? And then for people who don't know how SNL works, that Lauren has to make these decisions on the fly, like uh, on the spot. And they probably realize we have just enough time. Let's throw it in there. We need a good Whitney Slit joke and we can throw it in. And I think that's what happens. Yeah, so a couple of other things, you know, I, I like to start, you know, 100 grads, 400 family members, all in direct sunlight for three hours. Uh, just reminds yeah. me of all the, the the all the graduations that I've attended and how the elements can really uh, bear down on you. Uh, and I like the dabbing as well. But for some reason, I like dads with iPads, uh, <laughs> just because, again, I feel like that is sort of a tenet of, like, doing graduations of the 2010s, or for some reason, everyone brings iPads to take pictures with. Uh, and also very relatable pictures where you don't know which phone to look at. And I love how it actually breaks down the lines of sight. So you know, this was quick, but it was really visually fun, very popping. The performances were very true. Like uh, when Kate was Amy Mitchell, who doesn't know how to work the mic and just like them cutting out all the audio and her showing that I, again, that was in the Christmas special as well, but I think it was just very well done overall. I think it was a great way to sort of, you know, it, it, it picked things up at the end of the night. We got a weird last call, but then right after that, we sort of got this big surge of energy to take us into 1 a.m. Yeah. And a big shout out to 80 trying to protest and not actually knowing what her protest is about. Pick a lane. Save the honeybees and get your laws off her uterus. <laughs> 
So here we go, Mario. We're moving into our final episode of season 43. And we're, we we talked about this with, with Bill Hader. Of, okay, are we going to see an alumni do the finale? We're bringing back someone who has now become a Tony Award nominee since last time she was on. Ooh. Tina Fey is going to host the season finale with musical guest Nicki Minaj. How are you feeling about this? I have very strong mixed feelings, although you might be surprised what I'm going to say, or that I love Tina Fey. She is such a good writer. And again, the comedy writer in me can always pick out the best writers. I just love their sense of humor. I love the way she writes stuff. She has such an incisive, biting wit, and I just like the angle she will approach things from. So from a writing perspective, I'm really hoping for some good stuff next week. But that being said, I always have to say this. I hated the era of SNL when she was the head writer. I could not stand how smug and gratuitous and everyone breaking character and bringing on the Olsen twins and Paris Hilton. I just hated that era. It was absolutely, I think, the most overrated era of the show. And I don't think that's necessarily her fault. She was the head writer. And I always thought she was solid. But I always don't. I, 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 it makes me cringe when I realize that when people think she's coming back. That everyone's thinking, well, we'll bring back all the stars from that era. It'll be a it'll be a celebrity show. And again, I think that was the most overrated era of SNL ever. And I hope it doesn't turn into a cameo show where all that era comes back and we do this old stuff again. I really hope she's allowed to stand on her own because I think she is really, really good and very impressive when I see her in past shows. Yeah. So, I mean, I know you say that. I feel like it's going to be I, I, we're going to get a Baldwin Trump. That mm-hmm. much is true because if if anything they have that close connection there and maybe we're gonna get maybe we'll get like Palin. the ghost of yeah the ghost of Sarah Palin <laughs> uh, coming in or something but I feel like alumni coupled with it being a season finale I feel like they're gonna be cameos about people also have summer movies to plug too so mm-hmm. I would say don't count it out of the realm of possibilities I'm excited I'm hopeful that you know I know Tina is doing a lot of stuff obviously but. Hopefully, uh, some of the some sketches that she pens gets to go in there as well because I totally agree that I think she's a fantastic sketch writer in addition to being a great performer as well. And so hopefully she can uh, get some stuff in there. I mean, the last time we saw her was that viral moment where she was uh, stuffing her face with sheet cake during the uh, the SNL summer weekend updates. Which I don't know. I, I haven't found out about whether they're going to bring these back this summer. I guess I guess we shall see. But it should be exciting. I know we keep beating this drum, but I really do feel like, and we can definitely talk a bit about like season 43 as a whole next week as well I feel like the back half of this season has really you know picked up from the first half and this past week was no indication even though again you're definitely higher on it than I am there were some moments that we both enjoyed and I'm 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 excited to if anything we're gonna get a very energetic fun show because it's these guys saying okay it's time for summer break you know let's let's put the balls to the wall here Yeah, and the thing with Tina Fey that I think people need to pay attention to is she's really underrated as a performer. And that's one thing I think gets forgotten because you don't really remember her acting roles. But everything she's good at, she's really good at. And there's one sketch in particular I want to call attention to. It was the one with uh, Mike O'Brien, the uh, Model T cars from a couple years ago. Do you remember that one? Yeah, it was the uh, yeah, used yeah. car commercial where she plays the crazy woman who drowned all her babies in the well. And she's so dark and brooding in that sketch. And it's fantastic. And that's one of my favorite underrated sketches of the last, you know, five, six, seven years that I just. And, and again, it's really mostly because of her performance. So I don't think people should underrate her. I don't think people should forget that she's a really good performer in her own right. So I'm really hoping for some good stuff next week. And again, I'm hoping for some dark stuff. I love dark humor. And Tina Fey goes about as dark as anybody 
reality sometimes. So I, I'm hoping uh, above, above all hope that next week will be as fantastic uh, end to the season. So if you have any thoughts about the Amy Schumer episode, again, apologies about it being a bit later in the week just due to scheduling issues. We're going to try to record this one as soon as, you know, a day or a couple days after the episode as possible since it is the finale. Feel free to let us know. You can always reach out to us on social media. Mario is at Mario J. Lanza on Twitter. I am at a Mike Bloom type. Mario, I know that in addition to your Staff Picks podcast, if you're a friends with him on facebook you've also been doing your own it's gonna be may snl uh daily <laughs> posting right yeah this is this is for the snl nerds out there this is some hardcore stuff i have an almost encyclopedic knowledge of like every sketch that's ever aired going back to like 1984 85 and i've been trying to do just as a tribute to snl i did a little may countdown where i'm just picking the most random obscure sketches that always made me laugh that a lot of people might not know about i've been posting them on facebook and I've, I've even picked a few that my, my co-host here, Mike, had never seen before. And these are sketches that I was just I'm just pulling out of my butt that I remember as being especially funny. And what's funny is like SNL clips you can't find on the Internet. They're hard to find. Lauren you know, locks them down. There's music rights. And I was getting fed up because there's so many sketches out there that I want to see and I just can't find a copy of like they just don't exist anymore. There's no way to see these sketches. So I, I have an old VHS tape that I taped all these sketches off. And I just, for years, I've been watching these tapes and I have, I've seen them hundreds and hundreds of times. I know them backwards and forwards. So I've been literally videotaping them off my, taking my phone and videotaping the VHS tape as it plays and then posting them so people can look at these sketches that you may never, otherwise never see. Like I just posted one from, uh, 1997 yesterday about Garth Brooks and Molly Shannon at this Lowe's theater where they're mm-hmm. trapped in a hell of never ending Shelley Long movies. And it's one of those sketches that was one of the funniest sketches of its era, but you'll never see it. It never gets rerun. There's no record of it on the internet. So I'm trying to post these obscure one a day, just obscure sketches from the archives, just that I think where people can appreciate SNL history a little more and just some of the little things that I've always found funny over the years. That's my, that's my May uh, uh, hobby right now. Yeah, so be sure to uh, check that out. If, if you are friends with Mario, it's, it's on your personal Facebook page, right? Yeah, and again, anybody can join. I'll accept any friend ad. It's, right now I'm posting them, so it's friends only. But I may make them public only or public as well, But because I really do feel strongly that people should know all these great sketches over the years from SNL, because that's what my history is. I just know all these little, little gems that have popped up over the years that don't get the credit as much as like a Sarah Palin might get or a Baldwin is Trump. But I like this other stuff as well. I'm trying to make sure it gets noticed. Yeah, we're around 43 years of SNL. There will definitely be some uh, sketches that fall into the gray matter, so I'm definitely appreciative of it. As you said, there were some sketches in there, that low sketch especially, that I didn't really remember. So it was, it was good to check that out, and you'll be posting them again through the end of May. Uh, you can always check out Mario's Staff Picks podcast. You can check out all the press and podcast that I do as well. We both recorded and released an edition of the Survivor Historians talking about Survivor Samoa. That was a lot of fun. So be sure to check all that out if that's what you're into. Special thanks to Will from America, as always, for his uh, his input about this week's musical guest. We'll hear from him next week about Nicki Minaj. Follow him at Will from America. Again, let us know your thoughts about this Amy Schumer episode and what you might expect from Tina Fey. We'll be back next week only a few days from now to talk about that season finale of season 43 thank you all so so much for listening mario great work as per usual for now take care bye bye